All down. All silent. Going, going, going. Go on, Congratulations. Welcome to the Current Market Insights Podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate. Each episode, we chat with real estate author and industry leader, Peter O'Malley, to discuss the current property market conditions and provide insights to assist you on your property journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Current Market Insights. I'm your host, Kieran O'Brien, and as always with me is my good friend and the principal of Harris Partners Real Estate, Mr. Peter O'Malley. Good afternoon. Good to see you, Kieran. Peter Always good to see you. Not much really I want to talk to you about today. We're getting so close to Christmas that it's time to kind of wind down uh, these reports and and wind down the episodes. But it is obviously early December. The RBA have made their final decision for the year and uh, they've released their report. I thought we might start the episode just by getting a bit of a recap for our listeners and uh, trying to understand a little bit about what the messaging is that's coming out of the, uh, the Reserve Bank. Yeah, interesting messaging, Kieran. And again, the same as what we've seen in the last few meetings where the media get hold of it and all draw slightly different conclusions from the RBA statement, if you like. So the key takeouts that I took from the statement is that uh, they were at pains to justify their decision to increase interest rates in November, which almost suggests that there's a little bit of regret that they may have overdone it with that November hike. Only time will tell. But they said the decision to increase interest rates last month reflected the board's view that progress in bringing inflation back to the target band of 2 to 3% was looking slower than earlier forecast. And then further on, they went on to add housing prices were continuing to rise across the country, as was the number of new mortgages. Given this, the board judged that the risk of inflation remaining higher for longer had risen and an increase in interest rates in November was therefore warranted to be more assured that inflation would return to target in a reasonable time frame. So that's the statement that the RBA have made when announcing their no movement in December. So it almost sounds like a bit of regret there or justification after the fact, doesn't it? I was just about to say, it sounds like they're trying to justify, you know, hey guys, this this is what we did. Uh, Honestly, this is why we did it. We're not so sure now. Uh, But we're not going to do anything because actually the outlook's maybe looking a little more positive than we thought. Indeed. Well, the outlook for bringing inflation down, yeah. Look, I think what we can take out of that uh, last line that I read from the statement was that if house prices continue to go up across the country, and it's, it's such a nuanced point, across the country, not in your suburb, not in your street, not in the inner west, not in your state, but across the country they will increase interest rates again. So people next year may see that property prices in their market segment or in the next suburb over are falling, but across the country property prices are still rising and the RBA in this statement in December point blank have said the reason we increased interest rates in November was because property prices across the country are increasing. And they go on later on in their statement, if I can say that the outlook for household consumption remain certain with many households experiencing a painful squeeze on their finances, while some are benefiting from rising house prices, substantial saving buffers and higher interest income from higher rates. So what they're talking to there is it's nearly a two-speed economy where some people are actually doing quite well in this environment and others are getting crunched by it. 
So the RBA are acutely aware of the challenges out there, but they're dealing with a blunt instrument. Do you think uh, we're we're starting to see a bit of delineation and and a uh, I guess you, you mentioned a two speed economy, but are we starting to see a, a genuine two tier system here where some people really you know the haves and the have nots that to to use an old adage I guess. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think that's been happening all year, actually. I think that's been happening since the beginning of COVID where some people are doing really well out of the current situation and others are getting crunched by it. So the wealth gap is widening, sadly, in this country and it's becoming clearer by the day to a lot more people. Would it be safe to say that given a large percentage of the, the property strength has come from the, the top end of town, that that's further exacerbating the problem and then the people at the other end of the spectrum who are facing the financial crunch at home are having to deal with the fallout from, as you mentioned, the RBA's obvious statement here that property prices nationally are on their radar in uh, terms no, of their, I wouldn't, I wouldn't their policy. Quite, I couldn't quite say that and that's why I drew the the nuanced point that they are talking about property prices across the country because what's happened in cities like Adelaide and Perth that have had very, very depressed property markets is rents have shot up. So therefore it's now cheaper to go and get a mortgage on these cheap properties than it is to pay the rent that the landlord's asking. So you'll probably continue to see increasing property markets in cities like Adelaide, uh, like Perth, possibly a little bit more to run in Brisbane and then some of your regional cities like Bunbury in Perth and um, maybe Townsville in Queensland, you might continue to see property prices continue to rise there because they're coming off such a low base. So whilst the very top end or the prestige end of the market is certainly stronger than most other markets at the moment, some of these lesser light cities, if you like, cities that don't end up in the media as discussion points, have got a lot of room to move. And obviously some of these factors are influenced by things well outside the RBA's control. They're not inflationary uh, factors necessarily, uh, but property prices and, and the impact of rents on these, as you're mentioning, are driven by, as we've mentioned many, many times, some factors that the RBA really have absolutely no control oh, over. They've, they've got three options each month, increase, hold or decrease interest rates. That's all the RBA can can work with and they've got this whole contradictory board of uh, data and situations in front of them. In their statement, they talk about the global conflict on top of all of that. And as I say, each month they can only make three decisions. So very convoluted and messy picture for them. But they've said it plain and simple. If national property prices continue to go up, so will interest rates. And that is probably why many of the seasoned analysts in, you know, in society are saying to us that they don't expect next year to be as strong for property properties uh, as it was this year because if it's anywhere near as strong RBA will just keep increasing rates. Before we uh, wrap up this section is there any indication or any hints in the statement as to what they think may happen at the start of next year with uh, with the rate setting? Uh, Look they were very uh, light on available data between the November meeting and the December meeting so they didn't have a great deal of data in which to make a decision on and the safest decision this week was to keep it on hold they don't meet in January. That's the only month of the year that the RBA don't meet under the current structure. They'll be back at it on the first Tuesday in February. And I think it's January 31 I saw. There'll be a massive data dump from the existing quarter. will come out on January 31, 2024. And that will give the RBA all the information they need to decide upon at uh, their February meeting whether to 
increase rates, hold rates or cut rates. And I see that there are some people, based on the latest economic numbers today, which were pretty, you know, pretty, pretty grim, to be honest. There were some really soft numbers today. There are some people that are actually bringing forward their rate cut scenario. Yeah, I think uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. There's still so much up in the air. Uh, I want to pivot if we can, Peter. I was talking to some clients this week who, who were looking to purchase a, a property under a strata scheme. And one of the things they raised as a concern was insurance and strata insurance. Uh, and they had raised the issue or raised the point, I should say, that they'd heard that there's been massive increases in strata insurance costs across the country. And I thought we should have a bit of a look at that and try and get a sense of, of what's involved in strata insurance and uh, and, and why, if, if anything is, is causing these uh, these rises. Yeah, look, we did speak to a strata manager about this, uh, Kieran, and he said in fairly blunt terms that uh, insurance premiums have gone up 20% year on year for the last two years. There's a lot of insurers that have backed out of this place, uh, out of this place and space of insuring strata schemes. Uh, we were involved this year in helping establish a strata uh, scheme and we were absolutely all bowled over by the amount that we were charged by the strata company. Strata companies in blunt terms have been severely burnt by by this type of insurance, whether it be poorly managed strata schemes, poorly built strata schemes. They're, um, uh, They're particularly wary of new buildings. They're particularly wary of the strata not overseeing repairs being done properly and coming back for a second bite of the cherry as far as um, tapping the insurance company for more money. And what I'm told is that the payout ratio in the last couple of years for insurance companies has uh, been going up while the premiums have been going down. And um, the uh, strata companies have had enough of that. They are uh, really coming down tough on strata schemes. So you've mentioned a couple of factors there that that do play a role. So obviously the management by the strata agency and the building quality are are big factors. Uh, I read an article in preparation for this talk about the floods that we've had in New South Wales and Queensland and the impact that they've had on the costs as well. And in fact, I think I read somewhere that almost $5 billion was paid out in insurance premiums as a result of those floods and that that cost has been directly passed on across the board. Given that that's a natural disaster, you know, we're in a La Nina period or El Nino, I'm not sure which one it is at the moment, but the risk of ongoing uh, natural elements playing a role, is it likely that we can see any kind of reduction in these premiums moving forward or are we just likely to see increases, do you think? I'm not, I'm not seeing any reason why they'll go back down. I think this is a really unwanted uh, development in the property market given how many people now live in strata and um, how, um, how much property has been built in the last decade that's probably below quality, to be fair. Strata schemes thinking they can just tap the insurance manager for, for a payout, they look like they're over. Insurance companies are getting really tough with strata schemes. Uh, some some instru- insurance companies have actually just completely backed out of this space and sector and others have just jacked their prices up. So what you'll see here is you'll see landlords will look to pass the increased strata rates via because of the, the insurance costs onto the tenant. Owner-occupiers at a time of cost of living will be forced to basically swallow these extra costs and all of it's going to, you know, not not dominate the inflationary reading but it's going to put pressure on the inflationary reading because so much of our society at the moment now lives in strata and whether you're a tenant or an owner-occupier or a landlord, you're going to be impacted by what's going on here. It's a really big issue and I think it's something that you're going to see play out a lot more next year. 
I'm glad you mentioned that we see more and more strata living now, particularly given we are and we have talked at length about the housing supply issues in this country. One of the solutions is going to be more high-density housing, which is most likely going to be under strata management and therefore is meant to be an affordable option for people to get into the market. But what you're saying with increasing premiums, some of them, you know, I've read some articles suggesting up to 60% over two-year periods increases in these premiums. That's just going to make these effectively unaffordable, is it not, for, for many, many people trying to get into the market? Well, it depends how, how much uh, amenity comes with the respective strata. And I hope if they're talking about building affordable housing, Kieran, that we're not talking gyms, lifts, pools, concierges, uh, whatever else that, that, that goes with uh, a high-cost strata plan. You want, one wants to see them built as economically and uh, uh, not built cheaply, but built them as economically and you know, sustainably managed as, as possible. Not to hate on insurance companies here a little bit, but do you think that uh, insurance companies... Mathematics to insurance companies, so there's no emotion from them. Yeah, The mathematics course. are out of, out of whack at the moment and they're just correcting it. Yeah, of course, of course. I read a really interesting uh, article on this regarding insurance brokers and strata companies and one of the, the little known or, or relatively unknown facts... Uh, is that brokers do receive commissions for providing strata insurance. I mean, they do in every other insurance, we know that. But one of the things discussed was that insurance brokers in this space quite often then pay the commission to the strata company and then the strata companies pay it back but rolled out in increased strata levies. Now, as someone who owns in a strata environment, that seems like an incredibly unfair way to do business and for us to have to foot that bill. Do you have any sense of how widespread this might be and is this something that any you know res- respective buyers might want to try and look into or, or consider when they're looking to buy a place? Uh, look, n- no, I don't, but that's a broker that's going and sourcing the best available shor- insurance for the strata scheme that they can and because insur- insurance companies are backing out of the space – I think you'll find the broker's fees go up as well. So commission is a a success fee and success in this space is getting harder. So you can expect the success fee to therefore go up next year. It's just unfortunate. It's unfortunate for everyone who has to pay it though, Peter. Oh, that's why I say it's it's a really horrible issue and it's not an issue that we're talking about today with any glee but it is something that is brewing in the background and the, the news flow and the cost of living and Christmas and all the rest of it is happening so quickly that there's so much to take our attention away from this. But as I say, I think uh, there'll be many strata meetings uh, in 2024 where people will be shocked to see what, you know, the, the, the increase that they're, they're being hit with for insurance. Yeah, absolutely. 25% or 20%, as you mentioned earlier, uh, is a huge amount of money for a lot of people, at, particularly at the moment. Well, we're, you know, we are up in arms earlier in the year about inflation uh, running at 8% in this country and we're happy that we've got it down to 4.9% as per the last reading, but we're talking insurance inflation is up 20% year on year. So hor- horrible issue and the thing about in- insurance is that it's not a product or service that you respect or have any great joy for until it is that you need it. Now, there may be some stratas out there that have been systemically managed poorly and they can't get insurance or there's no insurance company that wants to take it up for them other than at a draconian price. And one does wonder whether the government's going to have to step in and support such strata schemes at the moment because we can't have people living in apartment blocks uninsured. 
Yeah, and potentially unsafe if they can't receive insurance. Perhaps uh, this is a good opportunity for the Minns government to raise some money through a green slip for strata buildings. Who knows? Now, I want to change again what we're talking about, Peter. We've obviously just talked about the RBA. We've talked about increasing costs in strata, which is a really great segue, I think, uh, into a topic that has just popped up this week, which is the prevalence of so-called liar loans. Now, this is something I'd heard a little bit about before but wasn't overly familiar with. But I wonder if you could take our listeners through what is a liar loan, why is it making news at the moment, and uh, I guess what are the implications of, of liar loans for us down the line? Uh, well, a liar loan is simply where you lie on your loan application by making your income appear higher than it actually is or your outgoings appear lower than it actually is in order to help you get a home loan. And because you're making that home loan application to a financial institution, uh, a little bit like insurance companies, uh, a lot of people don't have a great deal of sympathy for a financial institution. And I'm not saying everyone operates on this space, but there is a sense of they can afford it, who cares, they're only a bank, it won't matter, I can tell a little furphy here. You're not alone in that view, Peter? Yeah, now my first experience with liar loans was about 10 years ago before investor mortgage rates were higher than home loan, homeowner occupier rates and they were essentially at the same level. So what a lot of people were doing is going to the bank and saying, I want to buy this house at Smith Street. And when I buy this house at Smith Street, um, I'm going to rent it out. So please use the $800 a week rental value as, as part of the overall equation in assessing my um, viability and ability to pay this property back. And then they'd ask us for a rental letter saying, you know, the property at Smith Street will rent out for $800 a week for the bank. And then on settlement day, the buyer would come in with a removalist truck out the front of the office and say, great to be settled, can I have the keys? And I'd say, you're moving in, are you? And he's, yeah, we are moving in. It's like, all oh, right, but I thought you said you were going to rent it out. Oh, no, that was just for the bank. Yeah, wow. And that's so innocent and that was so common at that time, Kieran, that they would the buyer would run out with their keys and it's like, yeah, this person's actually just committed a form of fraud to get the home loan. <laughs> yeah, that's that's financial fraud pretty and, clear. And, and, and the whole system was running on this and everyone just thought it was okay. Even mortgage brokers were saying, just tell the bank you're going to rent it out. Once you've settled, who cares? Just move in. And and that was my first experience with liar loans where it's like you've actually you've taken money under false pretense from the bank but no one seems to, to mind. As I said, at that point in time, the interest rate for a home loan and an investment loan was the same where the banks have now got a higher rate for investment loans versus home loans. So that's not as appealing doing that. The reason this came back on the agenda is I saw in the ABC this week a, uh, a gentleman who works for the, uh, for, for the retail banks investigating mortgage fraud was showing how easy it is to doctor one's payslip when, when submitting that payslip to the bank on, on a PDF document. It was like surely people would not be earning X and then just tell the bank they're earning X plus 20% and physically doctor a payslip. But this fellow was in the news saying, so easy to do it, doctor the documents, and happens regularly. And if people are doing that to get a home loan, that is that is absolutely madness. So that is madness, I agree. Is, is this a sign, though, that perhaps people are just desperate to get into housing and, and some form of security in a time where they're feeling uncertain? Or do you think this is more opportunistic... Look, if you know, you've got to tell the bank you're earning 20% more than you really are to get a home loan, you're living beyond your means. 
Did the article give any indication of... It was a TV at, report. Oh, the TV report, sorry. Did it give any indication of at, at which sort of lending level this was most prevalent? Is it, you know, is it first home buyers lying or is it, you know, people in their $2 million oh, it's across borrowing the board. space? It's yeah, across this, the board. This fellow uh, he investigates mortgage fraud on behalf of the banks and apparently liar loans is, is through the roof, yeah. Okay, so he suggested that they're doctoring pay slips to increase their pay. He showed on the television how you can doctor a pay slip a PDF payslip and increase your wages and then just send that off to the bank. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I wonder what the flow-on effect is going to be then for the retail banks. If this is such an issue, are we likely to see a scenario where to, to apply for a loan now you, you have to authorise your employer to forward a payslip or something like that to, to try and you know mitigate the risk of this? Uh, I think the banks are, have been on, onto it for some time. It was just that at this point in the cycle they decided to – take the story to the media and show them we are looking, we are watching, be very, very careful of submitting a lie alone because we will catch you out. So it's clearly more, you know, it's not three or four people that have done it. If they've got someone permanently or it's just not someone, I should say, if they've got a body of people permanently investigating uh, lie loans, it's, it's, it's clearly very widespread. So uh, uh, th- no doubt there's other examples that um, uh, are happening out there, but I think telling the bank you're moving in and then, Getting, you're, not, you're going to rent the property out, I should say, and then moving in on settlement day. That's one version of it. That's, in fairness, that's tame in comparison to doctoring a payslip and suggesting that you're, adding, you're earning significantly more than you really are. Yeah, really interesting. I, uh, in my research for this, Peter, I did look up a, an article by uh, from, from 2021, so in the, the boom period, looking at uh, mortgage rates and looking at lending. And interestingly, the survey found that ANZ had the highest rates of liar loans and 65% of people that had a loan or a mortgage with them in that year admitted they had lied and something like 80 to 90%. I'm sure we're speaking to the 35% of course of we are. people today. Of course we are. Well, they're the only ones listening. Uh, but interestingly, 80 to 90% of those suggested that in fact it was their local banker that had recommended they doctor the payslips. I've got little doubt about that. And as I said earlier on, it was mortgage broker is phoning in on the whole rental letter thing that was driving that as much as it was the actual home buyer. Yeah, so really? that speaks to the whole system. Yeah, look, absolutely. And it speaks to – it really does speak to the, the importance of housing and, and the cost crisis that we're in at the moment. And, look, you can see why there was uh, a banking royal commission. It was so confined in its scope that it never actually got to the nexus of the issue. And here we are, liar loans. I first heard about liar loans – 10, 12 years ago, here we are, the cycle's done another loop and we're back talking about liar loans again. Yeah, and I'm sure next uh, next pre-recessionary period we'll talk about it again, Peter. Look, as always, really great wrap-up. Some good topics today. I think we've covered some interesting ones that, that hopefully our listeners will find some value in. Uh, as always, I encourage our listeners, if you do have a topic you are interested in, write into us and we will cover it for you in depth with Peter himself offering, as always, incredible insights and information for us all. Thanks, Kieran. Great to see you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for tuning into Current Market Insights. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Current Market Insights podcast, brought to you by Harris Partners Real Estate, the podcast providing real estate insights you won't find anywhere else.